Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome in to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel. Uh, on the show today, and we're joined today by Jackson Moore of Cardinal 247. Jackson covers the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, you're going to get his insight on everything Oregon versus Stanford to preview this upcoming game here in a couple days, which, Jackson, uh, get your coffee, get your pop, get your Red Bull. Uh, 8, 10 p.m. start. It's listed at 8, but the game notes are even later. 8, 10 on FS1. Um this is going to be brutal. Uh, before we dive into the game on the field, there was some news that came out this week uh, down there on the farm. David Shaw announced some injuries. EJ Smith's out for the year. There's been some other guys uh, potentially or questionable for, for this game. Just can you give us the lay of the land from an injury standpoint and how it maybe impacts things? Yeah, EJ Smith is definitely the big one. I mean, that was a shock. The same time last week we were told – that Smith was going to miss their game at Washington last weekend, but he either come back this week against Oregon or the following week, and out of nowhere, he's out for the year. So that was a big <laughs> blow, uh, especially for a Stanford team that really only has two running backs that they can count on, and now it's just one. So, And that guy, Casey Filkins, is uh, an Oregon native and a guy that has gone through some injuries recently as well. So it feels like they're one bad play away from disaster in the backfield. Um but they do feel if they can keep Philkins out there that they can get by. Uh, the other big issue is the two tackle offensive tackle positions where uh, left tackle Walter Rouse and right tackle uh, Miles Hinton. The two of them are both questionable. They both uh, Hinton did not play at Washington. Roush was a guy that was in and out with injury and that game resulted in eight sacks. So uh, it felt like the O-line was looking better with the full complement of players. Uh, you take away your two starting tackles, I think it's going to be tough for just about any team, and Stanford especially took it hard. So uh, those two players, their availability is going to be big in terms of Stanford's offense and if they can put up a fight. Just like a couple big picture questions for you here. Um, Stanford has been such a consistently competitive team, and, and it's been a thorn in the side with Oregon for the last decade or so. In fact, I think I was looking through it a couple, couple weeks ago, like, 
I think Stanford's the only team Oregon is 500 or worse against in the Pac-12 over the last 10 meetings. So sort of speaks to just the rivalry and how competitive it's been. And it's kind of weird looking at what's happened at Stanford the last year or so. The last time the Cardinal beat an FBS team, it was Oregon down at Stanford last year. One of the more wacky games, which has been a big talking point up at Oregon this week. But what's gone on? Because I think the Cardinal are without a win over an FBS team since then. They beat Colgate in their opener. They had two games. I mean, they haven't, the schedules are always really tough, we should know. But what kind of is it, does it feel like a downward spiral or kind of what's the perception with this year's team and kind of the momentum? Yeah, uh, last year was a very rough ending to it, losing those seven straight games. And they blamed a lot of it on injuries. Uh, I mean, Stanford did have an unusual amount of injuries, just guys dropping left and right all across the, the field. Um, I think ultimately their struggles came on the lines. They had almost a whole brand new starting offensive line. They couldn't run the ball or be that Stanford, you know, physical smash mouth team that they had schemed for and were used to being. And on defense as well, in the trenches, it was not pretty. They couldn't stop the run either. And I mean, those are two staples that you expect from successful Stanford teams to be good on the offensive and defensive lines. And so now you've got this year's team. Can they, now that they're healthy, they were, at least they entered the season. Uh, whilst the injuries I mentioned could be significant ones, they've been pretty healthy otherwise. And they've changed up the schemes quite a bit. And they feel like it's helped and that this team is not the same one that got dismantled and destroyed for seven straight games last year. But um, they have gone against two very good teams and they're going up against another very good team this week. Uh, they've moved from that kind of traditional Stanford offense to a slow mesh, the scheme that was uh, created by Wake Forest, and not a lot of other teams are running that. That's alleviated some of the pressure on the O-line and uh, moved from a 3-4 to a 4-3 with the outside linebackers on the edges has kind of hidden some of the worries in the defensive line too. So I think once this team plays someone that doesn't have a number lower than 20 in front of their name, that they're going to look pretty solid. But it's going to take pretty much a perfect game to beat a team like they faced the last two games or in Oregon, which they have not played perfect at all. They've been terrible with turnovers. And perhaps if they can be ball secure and force a couple turnovers and not give up eight sacks, uh, it's not a very complicated recipe to be a lot better. But they do look like they're quite away from reaching that right now. Jackson, you mentioned some of the schematic changes the Cardinal have made to kind of shirt things up. And Shaw's been there so long at Stanford. Um, I think the longest tenured coach in the conference. What, what would it take for his seat to get hot? Or is that already happening? I'm just curious because the trajectory seems, and you ran through the injuries and kind of some of the, just the bizarre nature, the COVID year, all of that. It's understandable, but does it feel like there's any urgency for him to have a really successful season? And, and, and if so, kind of like, I guess what would it take for them to actually have a coaching change? Because it feels like the, the trajectory is kind of in a weird place right now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like it's very warm right now. I think it would have to be something similar to the way last year went. And I think people are still waiting to see what happens when they face some more probably peer level teams <laughs> compared to the top 25 teams they've had to start the season with. Um there's been some bright spots over the last couple of years that have kind of uh, made it not look so overwhelmingly downward. Uh, the COVID year, they did go four and two. It felt like they were going to bounce back and then everything collapsed last year. Uh, they did have a top 25 recruiting class last season. 
and just in general, some of the challenges Stanford has to go through when you have a head coach that has had so much success there for so long and is very uniquely qualified to lead a program that can't take transfers and is just barely having their first enroll early enrollees and has got some of this stuff down. I mean, it could be tough for someone new to come in and it would be tough to part ways with the guy that's done so much for the program. So I think it's got to get really, really bad. And I think that Shaw would probably have a pretty nice opportunity and that he would leave gracefully if it ever got there. Um, so I, I have a really hard time seeing him just get straight up fired anytime soon. So Jess, if there's no staff changes made, um, the seat's not warm for David Shaw. Recruiting did go well last year for the Cardinal. How, what's the path to turning this around? Um, obviously, a win on Saturday would be the right in the right direction for Stanford. Um, but what what are the fixes that need to be made? Maybe that's a really big question, you know, big big picture question. And is it something that can happen in one season? Yeah, I think. Even with the challenges and everything they've gone through, I mean, if you do look at our 24-7 sports team rankings in terms of talent and the recruits they've acquired, Stanford's number four. I mean, there yeah. shouldn't be this bad of a Stanford team, at least what we saw last year. I think that, you know, when you have a program that doesn't often redshirt and can't take advantage of the sixth-year senior in most cases, they just can't get into grad school at Stanford – uh, they are uniquely less experienced and less deep than a lot of teams, and you can't get transfers in to plug those holes. Uh, I think that's been the biggest issue for Stanford is not the talent, but the second team guys that have been such a drop off. I think in general with this team, uh, really the big thing has just been turnovers. They've given up uh, 12 and only have one takeaway in three games. I mean, that's wow. rather astonishing that they could pull that off. <laughs> that's crazy. Their average turnover margin per game is negative 3.33. The next worst in the country is minus two. And then it goes to 1.5, I believe, was number 129 in the nation. So you assume that's going to balance out at some point. And that, I mean, if you have that many turnovers against USC and Washington, it's going to be hard to keep it close. You figure if they could be a zero turnover margin against even those types of teams that maybe they would have been within a couple of, I mean, the final scores really weren't even that bad either, but they would have looked a lot closer throughout the first three quarters if they hadn't been throwing turnovers and fumbling the ball. I think, Jackson, when I think of Danford, I always think of the quarterbacks. Not that that's the only thing you think about, but you, you, there's just been such a lineage of big names there. And a lot of them have been former big-time recruits, and Tanner McKee is certainly one of them. I remember watching him at the Elite 11 the same year as Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields were there and, and he held his own. I mean, he was what to me, one of the more impressive guys there. And that was a very long time ago. Those, those are the players I mentioned are both, I think in their second years in the NFL. And here's McKee as a second year starter for Stanford. Um, what's the progression been like for him? I know he took a mission. So that's, that's that to the listeners who maybe aren't familiar. That's to, explains why he's still kind of earlier on in his career compared to some of his peers, but what's been the progression there, the maturation and have you guys seen kind of glimpses yet of, of what made him such a big time recruit. Yeah, I think, you know, right off the bat, you know, his first uh, four and a half games, he played very well last year and got the three and two record, got the two upsets against Oregon and USC and things were looking really good. And then that's when kind of the pieces around him started to crumble, lost some of the weapons, some alignment, the defense fell off completely from that point on. So uh, this year has been, 
a little bit of the same. I mean, he's got a brand new offense. He's executing it very well. He's helped lead the change to that slow mesh. And it's really an unusual offense. I mean, you're going to see him and the running back Casey Filkins share the ball for two, three, four seconds and let the play develop and then decide. So I think it is pretty impressive that McKee is operating this offense and doesn't seem to have taken any step back in any way by running something that we haven't really seen in football to this point. Um, just in general, uh, I think he's been pretty consistent. He's had a couple picks that have been deflected, you know, some fade end zone type passes, the ones that uh, Oregon probably doesn't want to see this week. Uh, uh, some of those have not gone as well as they were used to those going, a couple deflections and missed ones. So in general, he's looked really good. It's just been not enough to compensate for what's gone on around him. You brought up the fade routes, and obviously Oregon's kind of probably uh, got some post-traumatic stress syndrome from that um, <laughs> last week or last season. They've got talent, though, at receiver. This is probably, from my vantage point, this is probably going to be Stanford's strength offensively, and it feeds right into Oregon's biggest weakness defensively. They, they are dead last in the conference in pass defense. They're one of the worst teams in the country in defending the pass. Um, Wilson, Humphrey, and Higgins, that feels like a really good trio at receiver. Um, just your thoughts on if, if Stanford's going to make an upset here, and it's probably going to, it would probably be one of the crazier ones, even more so than last year. Uh, these three guys have to have a big factor in that, right? Yeah, and they're not the only ones. Um, Bryson Tremaine and Ben Urasik, the tight end. Uh, Jurassic led the team in receiving last year. Tremaine uh, had really got off to an impressive start before he got hurt in that same Oregon game last year. Uh, I mean, those two guys are eventually going to have numbers that balance out with those other three, too. It just hasn't been the schemes that have gone their way early on. So, I mean, so you're looking at really five all tall, you know, the shortest guys, like 6'2", six 6'3". Six um, not the fastest group, but they use it to their advantage. They use the size. They're fast enough to get open and and Tremaine was really the, the only guy that wasn't heavily recruited. He, he's really surpassed what was expected from him. So when you put those receivers and quarterbacks on just about any team and they stack up nationally against most, um, again, they have to have the pass protection to take advantage. And we saw Washington. I mean, about 70% of the game looked great. The other 30% was just got awful. <laughs> you give up eight sacks. Uh, it was enough to, again, derail the offense and kind of neutralize the talent that they do have at those positions. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation here with Jackson Moore, previewing Oregon versus Stanford. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. 
No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Um, Jackson, just your thoughts going into this game. Um, Eric mentioned it, the 1-9 stretch. The last time they'd beaten an FBS team was Oregon last September. Um, just, I know Stanford doesn't have this just massive fan base, and you know, it, but it's a program that you know, they've shown they can sell out games. They've shown that they can have an elite program. And at least in the modern day version of Stanford Cardinal, what's happening right now is unprecedented. We, we haven't seen this. Just what is the vibe like? What is the overall confidence of this team coming into coming into Saturday's game? Because this isn't normal. This is not what everyone expects Stanford to, to be like of a team. Of you know, your last your your only win in the last ten games is against the school named Colgate. Like that's just unheard of. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, no dispute with any of that. I would say I think this team has been able to separate itself from the seven straight that ended last year, how they're looking at how this season has gone. You know, they realize USC and Washington were, were very difficult matchups for them and that while they weren't extremely close, you know, if they hadn't turned the ball over as much as they did, if they hadn't given up as many sacks as they did, if they hadn't given up a few big plays, I mean, they feel like – the gap between them being blown out and competitive against some of these teams is a lot smaller than probably the country would imagine this team is just looking at the scores. Um, I also think that kind of if they can get through some of these top 25 opponents, there's an expectation that they are going to be a lot more competitive and have a better chance to win against some of the teams in the middle of the conference, even if it's looking a little tougher <laughs> against some of those teams that are off to better years than probably Stanford imagined. But uh, I think there's still a room here for the Cardinal to turn the corner. And I think the fan base is kind of waiting to see, is this going to keep steamrolling into a, a big dumpster fire like last year turned into, or are they going to turn that corner and you know get some moment, positive momentum going back in the program that they can really build off of? We talked a little bit about the offense, talked about the program as a whole. I, I do have some questions for you, Jackson, about the defense. Um, you know, I, it is unique looking through the, the, the stats here. And I think I, you might correct me if I'm wrong here. I think Stanford's top seven tacklers are all either seniors or fifth year seniors. Like these are all four and five year players. Um, several guys who've got 20, 30 starts under their belt. Some of those players have starts at other schools. And Stanford doesn't traditionally take transfers, but uh, Patrick Fields is a guy who was. A, a longtime player at Oklahoma and, and a big contributor. Oregon actually knows him pretty well. He was the Alamo Bowl MVP, I believe, defensively. So it, it, this experience defensively, I know if you look at the stats in the last two losses, the opposing offense has put up a lot of points. But 
does that veteran leadership show up some places? And maybe is there a guy or two that you think kind of is the ringleader of this? Yeah, I think it shows up in the secondary in particular. Um, I mean, if you look at the depth chart, pretty much everyone at linebacker, corner, nickel safety is a senior or fifth-year guy. Uh, they've got more fifth-year guys than they're normally used to having at Stanford. And some of the exceptions they've made for some of them is that, especially at linebackers, they've gone through injuries. They haven't gotten their full four-year experience really at Stanford. So even though they're older, I don't think the talent and the experience quite shows up as much at linebacker. They do have some leadership. Guys like Levani Demuni and uh, Ricky Miazon are both uh, team captains, but still kind of lacking in that middle layer. But the secondary, I mean, they've got a couple of guys that should be NFL bound. Uh, Caillou Blue Kelly at corner is a senior that came back for, uh, I mean, he could have declared for the draft and many thought he would, but he did come back for that last year, get that degree. Patrick Fields, I mean, that's a boost that they're not used to getting a guy that, any transfer at all really at Stanford is rare uh, to get someone that has so much experience as him has been a big boost. And he's slid from safety to nickelback. And the other at safety is Jonathan McGill, one of the other team captains. Uh, he was one of those critical injuries last year, missed the first 10 games, showed up for the last two and got two picks. Uh, so they've been very happy to have him back. And he's one of those big leaders that they were missing. So um, it's a little bit of a mix. I think in the secondary, it reflects the kind of sentiment you're saying at linebacker. Eh, it's probably not as uh, experienced or as a productive group that it might say in the stat sheet or on the their classifications. 2011 to around 2015, Stanford was pretty special in stopping the run. I mean, that's where I think a lot of their toughness – identity came from is you, know, you just couldn't do it you, you were not going to be effective um the last two years though at stanford i realized that was a long time ago they've they're on the other end of the spectrum they're in the hundreds for for national team defense against the run and yards per play that's one of oregon's biggest strengths here is their run game just what's your confidence level you know of of that position group up front for Stanford being able to match Oregon in their offensive line? Because I think if Oregon had their druthers, that they would run the football consistently. They don't want to throw the ball 44 times like Bo Nix had to do last week. Yeah, that's probably the spot where I'm least confident in uh, seeing something more from Stanford than we've seen so far. Uh, even though the last two teams they played, um, Washington and USC, they had the talent at quarterback and receiver. They could really – spread the ball and spread the field and just sling it around quite a bit more than I think most teams will approach Stanford. And probably the front is the biggest reason why they couldn't get a lot of pressure and it gave them all day to throw the ball. And as good as I think Stanford secondary is, they can only cover for so long. So when you look at the run defense, I mean, that's the biggest weakness here on this team. The personnel, especially last year, as bad as they were, they had four senior defensive linemen that basically took all the reps in a three-man front. They all graduated. One got drafted. One was an undrafted free agent, and that group was bad. And so now you look at what this team has. They've got really one guy that's played any college football, and he's a junior who's got about 50 snaps before this season. All the tackles are under 270. You've got a true freshman playing a lot of snaps as well in that mix. Um, the interior is, is in a bad spot, and – not to say anything you know, bad about any of those individuals, but you just anticipate that Stanford would be 
more well equipped there, like they are at almost every other position. Uh, they did move from the three four to the four three to combat that. They go from three defensive line positions to just two, and their outside linebackers are the defensive ends now. Where they do have a couple seniors that are playing pretty well. They do have true freshman David Bailey, a top fifty recruit who started right off the bat. So they have some talent at the edge positions and. If they have any chance to disrupt Oregon, it's going to have to come from that group. I think it's going to be a long night for the tackles. Uh, you know, I, I hadn't had this in my show notes, Jackson, but I thought I should just ask it as a follow-up here. You talked earlier about the turnover numbers and having 11 in three games. Seven were fumbles, four were interceptions. I watched the USC game. I saw a couple of those interceptions. Is this just weird, fluky stuff? To your, I haven't seen every turnover they've made. I haven't di like diagrammed it, but is this a lot, were a lot of these, would you say kind of fluky, kind of just bad luck, or, or is there like real bulk security issues? Because to have seven fumbles lost in three games speaks to either just incredibly bad luck or maybe something like systemic. Yeah, uh, some of it is pretty fluky. I mean, the, um, the Colgate game, they muffed two punts in the first half. I think they had three turnovers in the first quarter against Colgate. So uh, some of it added up pretty quickly in that game. And when you count in two fumbles on special teams, doesn't quite paint the whole picture for the offense. But it's really been the timing of the turnovers. I mean, a lot of them have happened inside the 10 or inside the 20 when it looked like Stanford was going to score. And boom, they fumble or the fade pass gets tipped and picked off. And uh, I mean, even against USC, they were down 35-14 at halftime. They gave up the ball twice inside the 10-yard line. Could have been a lot closer. Still don't think it would have been enough to win. But those are the types of turnovers. Not just any turnover is bad, but these ones feel like a lot of them have taken points off the board. Jackson, I, I don't know what the vibe is down Palo Alto, but up here when the point spread opened, and it's like at seven, it opened at 16 or 15, and it's jumped all the way now to 17 and a half. And even when you look at the stats, you look at the, the roster, you, you listen to what you're saying, I think from an Oregon perspective, at least fans are going, yeah, but it's Stanford. Crazy crap just always happens against Stanford. And you throw out that, you know, the point spread. And if Oregon walks out of there with a one point win, there's going to be a group of fans. that are going to be like, whoo, I got that out of here. Like that, we'll take it. Who cares? Is that same mentality being a, you know, are you seeing that with Stanford that, yeah, even though it's a 17 and a half point, you know, underdog Stanford's shown that they can be the thorn in Oregon side year over year. And there's confidence coming into this game. Um, I don't think many at Stanford are probably expecting a win here. Just, the way the last two games have gone and carried over from last season. But I do think there's a bit of a confidence just from the team that if they can fix some of the things that have really cost them in the last few games, which are fixable, I mean, all those turnovers, you know, if they can just not give up a whole ton of sacks. And again, the big plays on defense, that seems like they have a team and a roster that's good enough that if they play their very best game, that they could beat a team like Oregon or even the last two teams they've played. But the margin for error is so small, and the larger the error gets, the larger the, the margin has been. And it's just hard to see them bridge that big of a gap from the last two games to this one. Again, if Stanford plays really clean and can avoid the big plays that they've given up or given away, 
it could be a close game and one that maybe Stanford can, you know, they would be chalked up to something weird that happened, but I think it would really just be a Stanford team that is not that talent deficient, but just hasn't been very good playing to its potential. Um, I don't think it happens here, but uh, it's one of the possibilities on how this game could go. Okay, Jackson, then let's write the script for what it would take for Stanford to win. What are what are some things? Give me. I guess I usually ask for three. So give me three things that you think Stanford needs to do on Saturday to ensure they leave Watson Stadium with a victory. Yeah, turnover margin, definitely. I mean, they've been so negative. I mean, this team is just imagining what life could be like if they had a positive turnover margin. So not just not giving the ball away, but they only have one takeaway. I think they're going to need to be plus two here to have a, a good shot at winning the game. Um, pass protection is priority number two coming off of last week. If they don't have their two starting tackles, I don't give them much of a shot. Um if they do, it could really change the game and uh, really negate some of the issues they had against Washington on that side of the ball. And three is the uh, probably the real <laughs> biggest issue in this game that I don't think Stanford has the guys to overcome is the battle that's going to go on between Oregon's O-line and Stanford's defensive front. I think that's just the one spot in this game where it is truly a 17-point difference. I think Stanford feels talented enough to compete just about everywhere else, but that's going to be a tough one for the Cardinal to overcome. Jackson, really appreciate the opportunity and the time to, to preview this game Saturday night, eight ten. Like I said, get, get your coffee, whatever you drink to stay away, get ready. Cause it's going to be a late one. And uh, we'll certainly catch up with you down the road. Uh, I know you cover a couple other teams on Oregon's schedule. So we'll, we'll catch up with you down the road as well. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Coach Shaw already complained no game should start after 7 p.m., so Stanford's coming in cranky. <laughs> <laughs> Smart man, though. Smart man. He's right. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Thanks, Jackson. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.